So this day I've got an exciting topic, uh, very exciting. Uh, and the topic basically is uh, the God of Elijah. The God of Elijah. I want to tell you three things or four things about the God of Elijah. But before then, uh, my brethren with the media team, I want you to show, to, sh- uh, to project for us a New King James Version, Second Kings 2.14. How did I know there is a God of Elijah? Now, these are the words spoken by Elijah. Remember, Elijah was the disciple of Elijah, right? See what he said. Then he took the mantle of Elijah, that's Elijah, that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also, and, and when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elijah crossed over. From that, it seems there is a God of Elijah. And that's the God that I want. The God of Elijah. We'll be taking our scripture from 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. Let's project the first uh, chapter 1 of First Kings. And i tell you something about the God of Elijah. Okay. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of, of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except my word. <sighs> when I read that, it blessed my heart. Who says that to the king? This guy comes to the king and tells the king, except at my word, me, Elijah, there is no rain. But before that, we'll come to that statement later. Brethren, this is the first time that the Lord is introducing Elijah. And for those who have followed scripture, you know that Elijah is one of the major prophets in scripture. He's compared in the same breath with Moses. Remember when Christ was asking, when he was, was gathering intelligence about himself, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Remember that? And the disciples said, some say that you are Elijah. Others say that you are Jeremiah. Others say that you are John the Baptist. Remember that? In the same breath, it means he's a major prophet. But see how God introduces him. He says, this is Mulongo from Kitare. No background, no story. My son has arrived. This is Mulongo from Kitare. This is Elijah the Tishbite. No story about the background. We don't know who his father is. We don't know who his mother is. We don't know the sins he had done. But this is Elijah the Tishbite. Brother Mwangi comes from a very small village. So if God was introducing my brother Mwangi, he would say, this is Mwangi. Actually, he would call him the first name. This is Peter from Turuturu. But brethren, the thing that God is teaching us here is this. That God does not have a side mirror. Amen? God does not have a side mirror. He introduces you on the stage like a big man. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is Elijah the Dishbite. No side mirror. That blessed my heart. That blessed my heart. It reminded me, I think, of Second Corinthians. It says that and when you are in Christ, you are new creation. And the past is gone. Brethren, I wish you would grasp the depth in that scripture. This is Elijah, the dishbite. 
He has arrived on the scene. I want us to grow with that. Talking about side mirror, Christ comes on the scene and teaches us about how not to have a side mirror. If you look at the guys that Christ called to be his disciples, I keep wondering, who does that? If I were Christ today, I will not pick on Peter. Because the guy was shifting shadows, right? Today he's here, tomorrow he's there. I will not pick on Simeon. There's a guy called Simeon, right? Simeon the, the Zealot. Simeon the, the Zealot was a Mungiki. Zealot were the people who at that time were clamoring. They were, they were free school guys who were clamoring for the independence of Israel. They were dangerous guys. And Christ calls the guys and says, from today, Simon, you are going to preachers of men. The guy has got a panga. <laughs> no side mirror. We are going forward. Your past is gone. He calls Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a man of doubt. And he says, I saw you under the tree. It blesses my heart. That God calls you and just says, this is Mlongo from Kitale. I'm telling you, brethren, myself, I was the most unlikely candidate for salvation. But God comes in the village and says, Mulongo from today, you are Mulongo, my son. Mulongo from Kitale. And, and, and I hope sisters are listening to this. Particularly sisters. Today I'll tell you sisters some stuff, and then next week when I come, I'll tell the men to balance it. The reason being, for some reason, I have interacted with sisters in church and, and small groups. This one, we struggle a lot, sisters, just believing that the past is gone, that you are a new creation. Miss Pastor, I don't know whether I'm saying, uh, I know you'll correct me later on, but I see it. Sisters struggle with this thing that you are Elijah the dishpipe. Okay, let me give you a scripture, sisters, to see uh, that you know the first ones. Yes, yeah. There's a time that Elijah was writing. Uh, um, um, Paul was writing. And he tells the people at that time, he tells that in the last time, in the last days, the very last times will come. Remember that scripture? He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, headstrong, and obedient to parents. Remember that? ungodly, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And then he goes ahead to say this. I think that should be Second Timothy. He says, these are the types that warm themselves into houses and take gullible women captive, loaded down by various sins, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Second Timothy 3. He's addressing sisters straight. He's saying, sisters, many of you are being taken captive because you are loaded down with sin. You don't understand that when you gave your life to Christ Jesus, you became Elijah the dishpipe. You keep looking at the back and saying, ah, that man hurt me a lot. That sister hurt me a lot. You know, I did many things when I was young, when I was in college. You know, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Sisters, when you're in Christ, 
if you begin doing like that, men will take, will take you captive. That's what Paul is saying. They are taking you captive because you have got the Lord of sin on you. And he's saying, drop down the Lord. Be Elijah, the dish pie. Sisters, next week is brother's doors. Let's go to the second facet of God of Elijah. So the first one is that the Lord of Elijah doesn't have side mirror. He brings you on the stage and introduces you in a, in a very simple and powerful way without giving a background. This is Elijah, the dish pie. The second one, the most exciting. Can we go to 17 from verse 18, from verse 8? Uh, same, same one. Uh, and then the word of the Lord came to him saying, that's the word of God coming to Elijah, Arise, go to Sarapheth, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Sarapheth, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. Remember, it's Elijah. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he said to her, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a, in a, in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a cup of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bean of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and he and her household ate for many days. Amen? I want to bring to you about the second facet of the God of Elijah. Now, in short, Elijah has gone to King Ahab. And by the way, King Ahab was, was the worst of the kings ever recorded in the history of Israel. The Bible says this. It says that um, Omri, the father of Ahab, was, was, was a bad king. He walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. So it, it was, he, he committed sin more than any other king. That is the father of Ahab. But then when you come to 17, the Bible says, and his son Ahab was committed sin more than any other king. It means he was the worst of the worst. He was the bad of the baddest. Now, there's no rain in Israel after Elijah has come and said there will be no rain. And God tells him immediately that now you go to the brook Cherith and from there you will take the water there and I'll send you ravens in the morning and in the evening to bring you food, uh, bread and, and meat. Remember that story. Then afterward, the brook dried because there was no rain. And God comes and tells Elijah, now it's, it's time for you to move, to go to Sidon. For behold, I have commanded a widow that will feed you. 
Put your finger on that line because I revisit it a bit. But if you read keenly that portion of scripture, God does not tell Elijah that the woman will feed him through a jar of oil and bread. Let's be clear about that. But also, in the first chapter, when Elijah comes to see Ahab, he tells him that there will be no rain except by my word. Are you getting those two points? Was Elijah blaspheming by saying that it will not rain because of me? And at what point did he change and tell the woman, you will feed me through the flour and the oil? Let me begin the first one. We come to learn later on in the book of James that actually it is Elijah that stopped the rain. The Bible says this in James. It says that Elijah, a man of like passions like us, prayed that it should not rain and he prayed that it should rain and it rained. So Elijah actually is quoting himself in the first chapter saying, except by my word, it won't rain. And in the second chapter the Lord tells him, now move and go somewhere else I'll feed you. And God is telling him, I agree with you, it won't rain. Elijah's words become God's word. When he said it's going to rain, later on when you read the forthcoming chapters, he comes and tells Ahab, king, says, king, can you run because it's going to rain? And then the guy goes, to the, uh, goes somewhere to begin praying for the rain. He had not seen the rain, pastor. He had not seen the rain. The guy is telling the king, go home, it's going to rain. And then he tells his, 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 his disciple, please go out and check. Remember the story, seven times. There was no, the man commanded rain to come and stop. And whatever he said, God put a tick and said, that is my word. That is my word. The Lord was adopting the word of Elijah's faith to be his. The Lord was respecting that word to become his. But how did, that one, how did that one happen? I have done some scripture to understand how God adopted the word of a man to be his. A man says it's not going to rain and it doesn't rain. He says it's going to rain and it's going to rain. Brethren, I learned one thing. The first thing I learned is that Elijah was a prayerful man. In this portion of scripture, it tells us in a very simplistic way that Elijah prayed seven times and the rain came. When you come to the New Testament, you learn that the man was perpetually in prayer. And so he was in tune with the Spirit of God. That he knew the mind of God and he can decree the mind of God and it happens. He knew the seasons. Okay, let me pin it at home. Uh, brother, can you, can you project for us uh, Luke 5.17? Yeah, there we go. Okay, let's go slowly. Now it happened, now this is Jesus Christ. Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Of course, now when you go down later, you, you see how Christ is healing people. This portion of scripture, brethren, is just reminding us of how it's good to be in tune with the Spirit of God. That Christ understood the power of God was present to heal them. And he healed those who came around. Same thing, Elijah understood that the presence of God was around for him to say what he was saying. He was in tune with the presence of the Lord. 
I'll give you a little story, uh, just to put this in, in context. That God adopts, the God of Elijah adopts our word of faith. I'll give you a story. A couple of, a couple of um, months ago, uh, in our small group in Dar es Salaam, we call it Connect. Well, people call it Bible studies, others call them different names. Uh, so one of our members come and tells us, she comes to tell us that uh, she's a medical doctor. She just gives, gives a testimony of how, what, what we normally do is whenever we meet, we give testimonies of our week, first of all, if we begin doing the scripture. So, uh, my baby, you, you know her, Dr. Brenda, she's called Dr. Brenda. She's a, uh, she has, she's a specialty in the issues of, you know, giving birth and it's called something, gynecology or something. Yeah, yeah. So she comes and says, we doctors, this week has been very difficult for us as doctors where I work. The reason being, there's a young lady who is expectant. And she's been kicked, she's an ancient lady, she's been kicked out of her home because, um, uh, you know, she became pregnant out of wedlock. So she has been kicked out of home. And so we are trying to help her. But as doctors, we are struggling for two reasons. This lady, her pregnancy is like none we have seen before. The child... We, we cannot bring, you can't see the form of the child. Are you following me? We've done scans and you can't see the form of the child. And this young lady, being a young girl, she doesn't even know when she conceived. So we don't know when she's going to give birth. So these are doctors who are struggling. And so they, are, they want to find the answers to not help the young lady. And so, just as a word of wisdom, one of the guys in the church, in the group, tells, tells Dr. Brenda, can you bring that lady to the group? To, this, to our Bible study group. And two weeks later, we even forgot about it. Guess who? Dr. Brenda walks in with a young lady in tow, pregnant. Okay? Asian young lady. And so we have our devotion and, and devotion and we pray. And as we are just about to finish the service, Dr. Brenda says, well, guys, this is the lady I was talking about and I have brought her here that we pray for her. Okay. And you know, I, I wish she picked on someone else, but you know, she, she should have picked on another lesson. Brother Mulongo, can you come and pray for, for this sister? And so we make her kneel down and we lay hands on her. And brethren, we felt the presence of the Lord. Amen? And I spoke something. When I went back at home, I told the Lord, Lord, did you hear that? Don't let me down. You know, I gave the birth date of the baby and the sex of the baby and the name in the prayer. And everyone, everyone heard it. So, later on, you know, my Thomas said, hey, okay. Brethren, it happened as I said. So um, after we prayed the next week, I told uh, Dr. Brenda, Dr. Brenda, now you can go do some scan, see whether you can see the baby. And then she posts, in, she posts in the group, hey guys, we did the scan, and it's a baby boy. I'm like, oh, the first one is done. Now is the... <laughs> but brethren, God adopts the word of our faith. When you are in sync with the Spirit of God, you speak things and they become. Amen. Okay, the third one. So we've done the first one. Is the God of Elijah doesn't have a side mirror. 
The second one is that the God of Elijah adopts the word of our faith. And the third one, the Lord of Elijah trains his lieutenants with life bullets. Okay? The Lord trains people with life bullets. He doesn't use rubber. I want to show you how. Can we do a 19, a 1 to 9? 19, same, same, First uh, Kings, uh, 19, 1 to 9. First Kings, but perhaps let me let me let me just quickly um, in the interest of time uh, paraphrase it, uh, give you the story a bit. Uh, of course, you know it. Now Elijah has spoken to Ahab about the rain, and he has gone and killed. Remember, killed the Baals, the prophets of Baal, um, and so this portion tells us what happened thereafter. So Elijah, after he killed the prophets of Baal, the wife of Ahab, who is called Jezebel, is so unhappy that she says, I am going to kill you like the way you killed my disciples. And so, the man who came the first day and said, at my word, begins running away from, from Jezebel. You've done this story in the, in, the, in, the, in the Sunday school. And he goes and uh, he walks a distance of, the Bible says, a distance of one day. That's how they used to count kilometers then. And as he lies down, an angel of God comes to him and gives him food and tells him, Arise and eat, for the journey is long. The man arises and eats. Uh, he eats twice. Long story short, the Bible says, and Elijah walked for 40 nights and 40 days without eating again to see the Lord. The journey was long. The question is, why was the Lord allowing Elijah to walk for that long? Because Elijah had said that God, I'm the only remaining prophet in Israel and these guys are looking for me to kill me. Remember that. And so, take my life. I am tired. Please, just kill me. But I keep wondering, if Elijah had wanted to die, why was he running away from Jezebel? <laughs> so he goes to God, which was telling God, I am ready to die. And God tells him, eat, for the journey is long. And after the journey, God meets him and asks him, Elijah, what brings you here? Why didn't God ask him that question before the guy embarked on a 40-day journey? You take a 40-day journey to be asked one question, and Elijah narrates God, these people have killed all the prophets, I'm the only one who is zealous for you, and now they seek after my life. And then God tells him, okay now, go to the cave, walk again to the cave. The guy goes to the cave, and as he arrives there, the Lord asks him again the same question, Elijah, what brings you here? Those questions are answers to the first questions I've asked you. Why did God allow Elijah to walk for 40 days? Simple as this. Elijah was losing focus. And God was giving him adequate time to contemplate his life. I know many of us are fathers here. Let me talk about my father. When my father wanted to discipline you or he wanted to, you to do something or you are going haywire, he would only ask you a question. 
He will pass and then ask you, uh, Godfrey, if you discuss Mwananza kunyoa nyuele, that will be enough communication that he doesn't like your hair style. How many fathers are here? Or a father will ask you, Sikwizi umekotu bosu na muka satatu. Next time you will be waking up at six. He has not told you to wake up at six. Amana, my, the ladies will tell their daughters, Hey, na hiyo nini yako ni sikwizi nirefu sana, meaning it is short. The skirt is short. Hiyo mkwe yako sikwizi nirefu sana. And the next day the daughter will wear a longer skirt. Same thing the Lord was doing to Elijah. Asking him, what are you here? He wanted him, the man to repent. But the man who had lost focus. For 40 days, the man was walking. So God expected him to think and contemplate. Uh, the people who do aviation say this. That um, when a plane encounters mechanical problems, as a pilot, you don't reduce altitude. Okay, you don't come landing. You actually increase altitude. I thought that is funny. If the plane is having smoke, why would you want to go higher? They said the reason being that that altitude gives you enough time to diagnose the problem and also enable the people on the ground to prepare for you as you land, all right? So God was giving Elijah altitude for him to contemplate his life. He, had be, he was becoming a man of flesh. He had been a very powerful guy, but now he's telling the Lord, I want to die. Now see how God responds. When he asks him the second question, the guy doesn't get an answer. See what he tells him. Let's go to 15. 1 Kings 19. Sorry, 1 Kings 19.15. Okay. Then, then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel, a king of, of Assyria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king of Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Brethren, how many have been watching soccer the last one week? All of you, you are also sinners like me. You've been watching soccer. And one thing caught my attention. That the reserve team has got 12 players. 12 are the first team. But the reserve has got 12 players. (laughs) I learned one thing. That you are not indispensable as a player. And actually, when you get injured, there's a guy outside there already doing this. Have you noticed that? They are treating you and they can't even wait to diagnose whether they will go back in or not. The guy is already warming up. And I'm thinking, this is unfair. Can't can we just wait and see whether the guy is okay? Even nose bleeding. The guy is already, you know, wanting to come in. Brethren, I learned one thing. That when God gives you an assignment, it is a privilege. There are two more guys out there who are better than you, who are doing this. So if you are given the microphone to come and sing my sister, take it serious. We are better singers out here, me included. <laughs> and, and so, God tells Elijah, he did not tell him that I am now dethroning. When he asked him the question second time, he realized this guy has lost focus. Now, t- therefore, Elijah, 
go to Shaphat. And that guy was actually plowing cow, plowing, plowing with cows. Elijah. Uh, Elijah. Who had double anointing. He goes and anoint, the guy was a prophet with cows without knowing. And the guy becomes double anointed. God trains his people with life. If you don't get the lesson, he asks you a question twice. He substitutes you and another guy comes and scores three, four goals. And they know the best. Okay, in the interest of time, let's do the last one. Now, the last one is this. God tells Elijah that now that you have commanded drought, there's no rain, I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to feed you by sending Horo. You know Horo? Horo, yes. Uh, it doesn't have an English word. The, bl- the, black, the black birds. The ones that eat meat. Uh, we call them Horo. I don't know that there's an English word for that. He calls them ravens, right? Yes, the ravens don't eat grass. Ravens eat meat. And remember, it's drought, my brother. They do not have food, even the ravens. And God tells him, you go live by a certain place, I'll be sending birds in the morning to bring you meat. Wow. If I were like, I told God, God, no, 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 no. I think you, you are mistaken. You are going to send ravens to bring me meat in a drought season? Will they bring or will they eat? That's the first point. And then as that is not enough, when the birds don't feed him anymore, the God tells him, now go to Sidon. I have commanded a widow to feed you. Brother Mwangi, try to imagine how unorthodox God is. Instead of sending you to a house of, uh, who is the best hotel again in, in Nairobi here? Uh, Serena. Instead of sending you to the house of Serena, the owner of Serena, he sends you to somewhere Mukuru Kwanjenga and tells you there's a widow I have commanded to feed you. It's quite unorthodox, right? I don't know if you are seeing how, how God operates. He's sending a bird of prey and then when it's finished, he sends you to a widow. Our God operates in unorthodox ways. The God of Elijah operates in unorthodox ways. Don't box him in your small box. In your small thinking. That because so and so got a job, I'll also get a job and provide for my family. It doesn't work like that. God operates in unorthodox ways. It is repeated across scripture. Even Christ himself. When Christ is born, God tells a virgin that you will bear a son. Really? God? If you have a virgin who has never had a baby, there are so many risks. First pregnancy. I will expect him, being an intelligent God, to get a woman who has got six children and has brought them up nicely. So there is less risk. But God picks an inexperienced lady without, mom, does it work like that? God works in an orthodox and as that's not enough, he goes to tell the, uh, the shepherd, he says that behold, in the city of David, is born unto you a king. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. A manger! A manger! 
A king in a manger. You guys don't, you know what a manger is? A king in a manger. Not in state house. God of an orthodox ways. Let me give you final testimony as I close. About, about just about how God has done certain stuff and orthodox for me and my family. Just one, just one testimony. I was betrothed, betrothed to marry a lady. Uh, the big girl that I have here. And as usual, I expected to raise money for my wedding in the orthodox way, which we do, which is call a few friends and get some money from them and do a wedding. All right? That's what we do, and it works. I'm not saying it's bad. It works. And so I, in my head, I want to do the same thing. Raise dowry a bit and pay my bills, all, all that. And so, I call friends for the first meeting. And they come the first day. They come in droves. My, my wife at that time, she was my fiancée, has got so many friends. They came 50. And I thought, ooh, this one at just first sitting, we have raised all the money. And long story short, only this man, my brother, won't give me money. And the days were closing by. He's the only one who gave me money. And so I, I decided, let me begin calling my close friends. So I called one of them. That man, God used him to deliver me. He's called my brother, Shem. My brother, Shem, my days are coming close. Uh, how is that? He told me, look at my brother, Godfrey. Someone of your age should have saved enough for his wedding. Well, uh, you know, I told you that I married when I was an old man, right? And, and for some reason, that statement did not, did not embarrass me or did not anger me. That guy was speaking this, the voice of God. Man, I went, I normally like sometimes preaching in front of my mirror so that I can see that Elijah the dishbite is here. I told God, God, did you hear what Brother Shem said? And honestly, God reminded me one thing. God reminded me one thing. Very straight. You know, I just felt my spirit asking this, that if your father was alive and he was well off, what is the natural process that we do as Africans? Even the Bible. It is the responsibility of fathers to give pride to their sons. That's who we are. Even if you are working, you have got money, your father is poor, he will give you something, even a goat. My son, this one is for your wife. This is for your dowry. Man, that thing, I told God. And doesn't the Bible say that you are the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows? Doesn't that mean that you are my father? Man, I told the Lord, you have to sort out my dowry and my wedding. That man delivered me from focusing on people. Because God is God of an orthodox ways. And brethren, one day I'm at our office at Iri here in Kabete. I get a call from one NGO here. They tell you, tell me, Godfrey, we have heard that there, you can do some work, certain work. Can you be able to do it? I tell them, oh yeah, I can do it. Why not? They tell me, can you come to our office? I tell them, I am 
just here for a few days and I'm off there. Actually, I was now off the airport. They tell me, can we meet with you somewhere between your office and your airport? We met at TRM down here. This guy, they came with a contract. He came with a bo- his boss and a contract. A contract for 10 days, 750,000. Ooh, that was enough. And they told me something. They told me, Godfrey, we have re-advertised this work three times. We have even asked professors to do this work, and none in Kenya has said they can be able to do it. And so I hired my girlfriend then, my fiancée, to go collect for me some... Baby, did I pay you? Yeah, I think I did. So anyway, I, I saw I, I, so she helped me collect some data at the Ministry of Education. One weekend, I sit in the office in Dar es Salaam and crack the whole thing, send, and they give me 350. It was enough to pay the first deposit for the hotel. And I was feeling, you know, I was looking like I had solar shampoo. You know, you walk like I've solar shampoo, you walk like this. And men, we had a wedding. I paid all the goats. I recall one day I was in, um, I was in Accra, and so uh, I sent the day for Kurashas arrived. And for where my wife comes from, you pay in goats. Uh, actually, now I had even more money than what they required. So they told me they needed five goats. I said, five goats? <laughs> I got 350K in my pocket. <laughs> and so, say, how much? So I sent one old man in the village there, one of the teachers, born again brother, who goes to check for the price of the goats. He tells me, we found good big goats and each is 10K. So I said, I'm going to impress you right now. And so then we, I chat with her and say, now nah, we got the goats. Uh, so we are moving on as planned. Say, how much? I said, 10K. He said, no, they are ripping you off. Goats are cheap. I told don't worry. We are going to buy. <laughs> so I had the check from my brother Mwangi. I had the 750 with me. Oh, I had enough to pay plus the air tickets plus. Today I'm married, right? <laughs> Please, choir, come on. Let's do this. This welcome choir. Uh, so uh, as, we, as the choir comes on top, uh, let's remember that uh, there's a God of Elijah and we should not despair. The first one is that the God of Elijah does not have side mirrors. Your past is gone. You are a new creation. Please go buy Vaseline. Put it on your lips. Walk straight. Look people in the eye. You are a child of God. Amen? Amen. The second one is learn that what you speak becomes. If things are challenging in your family, you have got the power to change stuff. And the Bible says this, brethren, as we conclude. He says that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or imagine. And then usually many of us stop at that point. It's a mistake. We should not stop there when you're quoting that scripture. Because you'll be throwing away the child with the bath water. Ephesians 3.20 It says, He does that according to the power that works in us. Amen? So he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can imagine or ask, according to the power that works in us. So if someone is in your home, not bearing children, it is not your job to help the Lord. 
Speak a child in the womb. Let the Lord handle his own issues. Sometimes we want to help the Lord do his work. No. Us is to speak the faith that is in us and allow the Lord to do his stuff. Shall we arise and, and, and uh, respond to this? Hallelujah. God of Elijah, the Tishibite. God of Mulongo, from Kitare. God of Mwangi, from Turuturu. Hallelujah. Amen. He loves you the way you are. Amen. Your location is not an issue to him. You are his child. Amen. And he loves you. Amen. Believe his words and speak it. When you speak it, he backs it and becomes what you have said. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful sermon this uh, afternoon. Let's appreciate the man of God. Hallelujah. Have you been blessed? Amen. Amen. I'm sure you've been blessed. Amen. Now let's walk in that liberation. Let's not go backward. Let's know that we have a God who is on our side. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what happened to us. The pain we have gone through. The abuses we have gone through. That is now history. Amen. You are a child of God. Walk in that liberation. Amen? Amen. And God will back every word that you speak. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Thank you uh, Dr. Mulongo mm. and Mweni and their beautiful daughter for allowing the Lord to use you to bless the body of Christ today. Mm. We are grateful to the Lord. Amen.